The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I am James Hinchcliffe. I'm Alex Rossi. And I'm Tim. And unfortunately, yeah, no, it's... uh, we hadn't gotten to it's, that point yet, but uh, yeah, 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 I don't, I don't think there's, there's three names in the title. It's just the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, we track, get to decide if we want to intro you or not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's your podcast with us. I got it. I got it. Yeah, you guys have been riding my coattails for too long. <laughs> yeah, the the coattails are pretty That's... short though. Like, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and unsuccessful. One of us like, on there. They're like rags. They're more. Yeah, it's a it's a windbreaker at best. <laughs> it's a poncho, <laughs> yeah, as they go. would say. So, for those of you that aren't familiar with the show, that annoying voice you hear in the background um, is our producer, um, sometimes colleague, part-time friend. Uh, <laughs> That's being generous. How is somebody a part-time friend? I don't even understand how that works. Okay, I'll because we only Friday. we only like hanging with out with you on an hourly basis. <laughs> it's fair. I, I, I haven't hit salaried on friendship yet. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And if, in fact, I would argue you're seasonal. I, I, there's... <laughs> yeah, you're more of an off-season friend. If if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. why James and I have been hanging out a lot more lately. <laughs> That is, uh, that's fair. That's, that's funny because James doesn't have a job right now. Yeah, fun employment's pretty great, guys. I'm not going to lie. Um, not speaking of fun employment or any, because that would just be like literally Tim's every day. But speaking yep. of Tim, uh, how, was, how, was your, uh, how was your alarm clock this morning, bud? Heard you had yeah. a bit of a rude awakening. <laughs> yeah, about 4 a.m. last night, my daughter and I woke up from an earthquake, which is always, always great. But, uh. Uh, okay, so I uh, like my daughter woke up an hour beforehand, and she like asked, a, like a real one. No, like this was a proper earthquake. Like okay. every now and then you get like the small ones, but <laughs> like my my daughter woke up in the middle of the night. She had a, a bad dream, so she came into my bed. So we're, we're both in there, and and it was it like shook really hard. It woke both of us up, and and she just starts screaming. She goes, "Daddy, the world is shaking." It's like yeah, yeah, kinda, but it occurred to me after the fact that like. When I was a kid, we always did tornado drills. And in, like, a tornado, you have plenty of warning, right? Like, you go into the place, you, you, you like, get in position. You know it's coming, like, half an hour beforehand. You don't have any of that with earthquakes. So, like, all those drills that my, that they do out in California for the kids are completely useless. I mean, Alex, you grew, up, you grew up in California. Do you do, did you do the earthquake drills? I grew up in, in Northern California, which I know that's a weird rebuttal considering, you know, San Francisco fell apart 
via earthquakes, but like it's we were less um, concerned about it because, quite frankly, the frequency of them were were not as much as, as Southern California. Um, we had drills uh, resulting around um, other dangerous things that we're not going to talk about on this podcast. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I, I didn't grow up with with that fear or that kind of understanding of, of the magnitude of what they can be. So, so how did Hazel just go back to bed, or was yeah, she? Yeah, like, we, we both went back to sleep. But the, what always gets me about earthquakes is like by the time you realize what's happening, right? Because if you wake up from a dead sleep and everything's just shaking, like it takes a second to register. Like you, you realize that, okay, something's not right here. By the time you realize, Oh, this is an earthquake. It's done. Right. So afterwards, Hazel was like, dad, should we like get under a table or something? It's like, first of all, we don't have a table big enough for us to get under in my place. Like I have a desk in my, my room and it's glass. So no, we probably shouldn't get under that one. So you've got a table, (laughs) hang on. You've got a table that's got a fridge and controls the lights and has a radio and has all these things, but you don't have a table that your daughter and you can safely uh, secure yourself under in case of an earthquake. Correct. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it wouldn't do any good anyways. (laughs) By the time we got to the table, it would be done. Like, she was like, should we get under a table? I'm like, no, Hazel, we're going to ride this Tempur-Pedic mattress straight to hell if the earthquake's bad enough. Like, we're not going to make it. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Okay, but what if that was like a foreshock and the aftershock is even bigger and you've got the warning? Because, like, aftershocks are a thing. So maybe all this training is after the big one, you hide out for an hour for the aftershock. No, because the aftershock can happen anywhere between, like, 10 minutes and three days. So is it just like, hey guys, I'm uh, calling in, uh, calling in under the table from work for the next 72 hours? No, you're just, you know what's gonna happen if there's an aftershock that's really big? I'm gonna die. That's it. I'm just like that's. <laughs> okay, so first of all, your your just um, cavalier attitude towards life and death is a little concerning, and maybe we should discuss that um, <laughs> off, offline. Oh, I'm sorry. But, uh, the, this from the two race car drivers. Well, one and a half is <laughs> no, nope, yeah. totally different. Totally different. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, because nothing bad has ever happened to any of you two in a race car. Well, that's not my point. My point nope. is, um, you, you talk about this as being like this, this, this earthquake that was like you know real and all of this stuff, and and you're just this big, brave, commanding. You know, father who's going to conquer it all. <laughs> Please tell me what like broke okay. or fell off your no. wall. Hey, like, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, my apartment is hiding. A mess. You weren't hiding under anything because you weren't actually concerned about it. Because it might as well have been your neighbor, you know, having a party. Yeah. Uh, uh, granted, this was like a four point two. It was not okay. the biggest earthquake. Uh huh. I, I will say my apartment is a complete mess. Uh, well, not, just like your life, your not, face. Uh, nothing to do not with the as earthquake. a result of the earthquake at all, though. <laughs> like it was a mess before the earthquake. No, nothing fell off, I, and it was fine. But what? Like, I'm not trying to say this was the big one, and we like made it. I'm just saying it made me realize, like, oh, in the big one, uh, that's just it. Like, there's so the the other thing, the other thing that you said that I want to bring attention to is in this, you know, potential situation of having to hide out under the table for a worse aftershock for up to 72 hours you talked about calling into work who exactly are you calling because we all know you okay that's (laughs) so you're basically you're going to produce a podcast from under the table and that's totally doable frankly hazel likes coming on the show a lot so it would actually be helpful i i think you guys should just play it safe and get a table that's big enough for you two to hang out under for three days 
I, don't, I mean, you you both seen my apartment. There's not room for that. <laughs> you do have room for a dining room table. I feel like if you gave me your table that controlled your lights, your alarm system, your temperature, your fridge inside of that table, like your little Star Trek table, I'll just take that off your hands and I'll give you just a piece of wood with four legs that it's big enough for you guys to hide under. Funny story, James. Uh, you can have my table when you pry it from my cold, dead, earthquake-murdered hands. I was going to say, it's going to have to wait for the next <laughs> earthquake because apparently you're just, you're just clocking it, out at the next earthquake no matter what happens. <laughs> it would be pretty ironic if the if the uh, table survived the earthquake, but Tim didn't. <laughs> it's, it's I mean it's a strong table. I, I forget who gave it to me, but uh, but yeah, it's great. Uh, Part time friend over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so so Tim's dealing with um, earthquakes in California. I'm dealing with excruciating heat in Indiana which quite frankly I would love to hide under a table just because it's a little bit more shade um, James how's Canada oh Canada's great guys you guys should really come oh wait you're not allowed sorry uh, yeah no I'm uh, I'm up at the cottage the heat is very manageable and when it peaks a little bit we just jump in the lake and cool off the dogs love it the wife loves it uh, was doing some Doing some work, building a floor for the garage this morning. You know, just uh, just really having a great time, man. Wish wish you guys were here. It's kind of wish I was there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's off season. I mean, Kelly can come up. I mean, Kelly Kelly could come. Yep. Mm-hmm. She'd have to quarantine for another fourteen days, though. So. <laughs> oh yeah, she's back. She's back in the states, isn't she? She's back in the states. Um, well, that's nice. That's yeah. that's good for you guys. It is pretty neat. So wait, how hot is it in Indy right now, actually? Uh, it's actually raining today, but like previously it's been close to 100 for like three days. Yikes. It's been pretty brutal. Yeah, um, that, does not sound, uh, that does not sound appealing at all. But at least... I can only imagine what you're like... I can only imagine what your electricity bill is knowing that you have to sleep at 62 degrees <laughs> and trying to, your poor air conditioner is probably just like absolutely on its last legs. Well, my air conditioner never turns off, first of all. Um, <laughs> whether it's snowing outside or it's 100 outside, like it's just the same. Like it's just on. Like I don't even need a home with a furnace. Like there's no point. Um I but actually, just yeah, I have my heater in, in my apartment. It's been turned on once since I moved in here seven years ago, and it was by accident. Somebody clicked it, so I just unplugged <laughs> it. Like five years ago, I unplugged it, and I've right. just never used it. Like, why? Yeah. So, um, so that's, uh, that's, that's what we're doing, guys. We've, we've got a little bit of a break here. Um, coming off of Iowa, it was a big stretch. Now we've had this kind of three to three, four week break, um, which has been nice to kind of recharge the batteries before we get into what's going to be a pretty crazy month of August. And we will talk about that when we come back. Everybody, producer Thim here. You know, we love our listeners. We love our subscribers, but there's something we love even more. 
people who give us five-star ratings. Now, you can go into iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and, and rate our lovely little show, Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Uh, we would really appreciate five stars. If you can't stand the sound of my voice and you want to give us four, I understand. I mean, I don't love it, but I understand. We won't hold it against you. I mean, if you think it's bad, imagine being me. I'm the one that has to live with this voice. All right, so we uh, we teased um, before that break about about the month of August. So the month of August now, um, due to the state of the world, the climate of the world, um, people being crazy, whatever you want to call it, the West Coast um, swing of races that we're going to have at the end of the year in Portland and Laguna Seca have been canceled. So now we uh, not only have the usual month of May in the month of August, but we also have a doubleheader at Mid-Ohio going into the month of May in the month of August, and we have a doubleheader at Gateway coming out of the month of May in the month of August. What do you think of that, James? So I think, uh, I think it's good that we're able to salvage races, right? I mean, we lost three races essentially because uh, we lost Portland and then Laguna, but Laguna was a doubleheader, so... You're really only gaining two doubleheaders before you start complaining too much about all the extra work. And um, I think it's going to be some challenging races for sure. Oh, because, sorry, so they added, so Middle House doubleheader, Gateway's doubleheader, and then the Harvest GP uh, in October right. is now also going to have a second race. So that's how they got the three races back that they lost. Um, and, man, I think I think the GP is going to be pretty straightforward. I think Mid-Ohio and Gateway are going to be a way bigger challenge for the teams and the drivers. Um, Mid-Ohio is is one of the more physical racetracks on the calendar. Um, and, you know, you and I talked about this, right? We're like, you're like, oh, Mid-Ohio wasn't that physical. And Mid-Ohio is, is the physicality of that track is tied almost directly to what strategy you're on. It's one of those races that could just be a two-stopper, saving a bunch of fuel, or it's like a flat-out three-stopper. And if you're flat-out three stopping that race and you're qualifying laps the whole time and, and no yellows which has become more and more common at mid-ohio it is so incredibly physical and so incredibly taxing but when you're doing the two stopper just the nature of how you drive the car fuel saving and the slower lap times it does make it a lot more palatable the problem is they have shortened both races by a little bit and so now the saving fuel strategy probably isn't going to make sense and it's going to be like a balls to the wall run to the flag both days and that's going to be interesting i'm not sure how you feel about it but it's going to be it's going to be heavy um i how do i feel about it <laughs> i'm i'm happy that we're getting the races um i'm I'm, I'm, I'm generally just kind of concerned, I guess, about, about the whole, the whole thing. Like I, 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 to put things lightly, like I'm concerned, is this a precedent, for example? So like, are we going to, in the future, if we're having, 
you know, difficulties with coming to terms with the track or, or promoters or whatever, is it going to fall back on, well, you know, in 2020 during, during the, the, the pandemic, we were able to do X amount of races and double headers here and there and everywhere. And ultimately does that change the, what, what makes IndyCar what it is, right? So I'm not saying we're, we're anywhere near that point. I think it's a, it's a necessary evil, if you will. Um, but I'm just, you know, a little bit maybe pessimistic of the, of the fact that, you know, IndyCar is so special and unique because of the diversity that we have, of, of the types of tracks that we go to, how many different ones there are. Um, there's really no other championship in the world that's like that. And for us to, to potentially, you know, lose that in the future, if that were to be the case, would be would be really sad. So I guess I guess my big thing is yes, it's great for now, but let's not let's not make it a a solution. Um, you know, if, if things are difficult to get arranged with with tracks and promoters and, and cities in, in the future. Okay, so we've had uh, double headers at Road America and Iowa so far this year. We've done them in the past. Normally, Detroit uh, is always a double header. We've done them at other street courses in the past, Toronto, Houston. But so now we've done them at an oval, a short oval. We've done them at road courses. We've done them at street courses. What what would your feelings be if if coming out of this, IndyCar was just like, well, look, we'll keep the diversity and we'll we'll keep all these cool venues that we go to, but let's just give the fans more bang for their buck and just do a doubleheader every weekend. And now all of a sudden you're 17-race championships, a 34-race championship without having to travel anymore, without having to really do much more... I don't want to say much more work because they are, in a sense, more work um, with the way the schedules are. But if, if we just switch to almost an exclusively doubleheader schedule, let's say outside the Indy 500, how do you feel about that? That's a very interesting point that I hadn't thought of. Um, and, and the thing, selfishly, I, I wouldn't like it. So I think, I think we <laughs> – no, only because I think we as a team – in, in the current condition that we are right now and, and the way our team's set up, we, we struggle missing out on the practice sessions. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of cars, which is, is usually, you know, can be a, a pretty good advantage if you have the time to kind of draw upon the resources from those cars. You know, if you have practice sessions, if you have hours between the practice sessions to kind of evaluate, you know, driver A did this and driver C did that and they found these things, et cetera, et cetera. You can kind of find your way in a, in a very methodical data-driven way um, towards a, a pretty competitive race car. Whereas right now, you know, when we're running five cars and it's one practice session immediately into um, kind of an hour and a half break before qualifying, into a two-hour break before the race, it's very difficult for us to kind of process any of that information um, to, to kind of find a direction. So a lot of what we're doing is kind of is, is educated guesses in a lot of ways. And, and for sure, that's the same for, for all the teams. All the teams are, are used to having three to four and a half hours of practice going into qualifying in the race. Um, but I think from, from our side, it's, it's definitely hurt us more. So um, me as, a, as an Andretti Autosport employee, I would definitely say um, we want the normal schedule back as soon as possible. 
Okay, so there's, there's really two ways to look at it, right? So, so part of what we've done um, by, by adding these double headers is we've also switched to a two-day format. And, and, you know, we did that to try to limit the number of days we were on the road and at the racetrack, you know, for all the, all the reasons around pandemic and, and being safe with how we travel and put on our races. But it's also something that, that IndyCars looked at uh, because traveling is one of the biggest expenses that an IndyCar team has. You know, if you're a two-car team, you're probably bringing 50 people to the track and every car on top of that, you're probably adding another 20 to 25 people. So one extra night's hotel room, you know, over 17 weekends, that's, that's a lot of expenditure. So I know that one of the things IndyCar has wanted to experiment with, and they've kind of had the opportunity to do that, uh, through the, through the pandemic is these two day events. Um, but now you so so if you go to what we were talking about going to that three-day weekend getting that practice back you're not saving that money obviously but now you're you've got 17 more races to sell or i guess 16 if we're not doing a doubleheader at the 500 but you know if you i look at what what graham ray hall did at i forget if it was iowa road america heck it might have been both where he actually had a different primary sponsor and a different livery on saturday than he did from sunday so for essentially the same cost as what the teams had in say 2019 you could have the opportunity to sell twice as many sponsorships and you know title deals and that could i think actually help the teams out a bit if they're willing to do that overnight swap like the the ray hall guys did so that's that was kind of gonna that feeds perfectly into my next concern is i don't know how equipped you know any team's mechanics are to kind of deal with doubleheaders at all, let alone, you know, switching car liveries and, and everything overnight. Like these guys, you know, we've talked about it before, like the appreciation we have to have for them in terms of what they are going through in terms of these crazy temperatures, having to, especially now wear masks, um, tight turnaround times, all, all of this stuff. If you, if you make this a normal thing, you know, there's the potential that maybe you got to bring in like backup crews, if, if that makes sense, or, or, you know, at least have guys that can cycle in and out and get back to the hotel and, and kind of catch their breath or something. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's something also that is, um, you know, a big, a big deal that we've kind of seen this year that we haven't really seen in the past. Um, and it just adds to the conversation of, is there things that we need to be doing differently to kind of adapt um, our sport to, to make it better for, for the sponsors, for the fans, for the drivers, but also for the guys that are, you know, busting their ass from 6 a.m. To, to 9 p.m. every day. So I guess... 100%. I guess my, no, 100%. My question would be, and I, I don't have an answer to this, obviously, but is it all worth it? Like, I understand why we're doing doubleheaders now because a bunch of races got removed from the schedule and trying to maintain a full season. But, like, in the long run, are... Are you really are you gaining more viewers by having a race on Saturday and Sunday? Are you getting more like for the people that come to the races? And and you might I don't I don't know the answer to this, but like for all of that extra work, is there an upside to it? I think there is, and and I I was pleasantly surprised that of the double headers that we've had so far, like it's been two completely different races. Like I was a little bit concerned that this was just going to be. You know, the guy that won on Saturday was going to be the dominant car on Sunday, and we were going to get two of the same. We haven't got that at all. I mean, we probably would have in Iowa had Joseph not gotten screwed by the yellow, but, you know, Joseph at Iowa is is just, you know, Jesus walking on water. So that's great. But, I mean, if we take <laughs> – the fact of the matter is with, it with didn't happen. With hair. With – well, with, with hair. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think if we continue on that trend, there's nothing but an upside from from the entertainment value and, and potential, um, you know, guys deciding to go to the lake on Saturday, right, with their family and not watching the IndyCar race, but then they're going to come back and watch it on Sunday or vice versa, right? You're you're able to. Fit into family life on the weekends a little bit easier. The other side of that is, I think you know, if if all the races are still televised, uh, more people on a Saturday will tune in to a race than I think they would to a qualifying session. They they make the effort to watch that. Oh, that makes but sense. But then yeah. is it okay? Is it? <clears throat> but then you think, okay, the way our weekends are formatted now, you're kind of building towards the main event, and the crowds on Friday are a little smaller than the crowds on Saturday, which are a little smaller than the crowds on Sunday, and it's it's your building to something. If you kind of get there and you have two of the same thing, are you actually going to have, if you think of that track attendance, will you maybe have people that only come on Saturday and be like, oh, I saw a race today, I'm going to watch it from home on Sunday. You know, it's there's, there's a lot of different question marks around it, but kind of going to your point, Alex, about Joseph at Iowa, one of the things that I mean, I've I've kind of always been against double headers for from a competition standpoint, and the same for the same reason I'm against double points races. Um, you know, Agreed. like you said, the, a lot of the races we've had haven't been a complete domination by the same guy. You know, Graham Rahal did the double at Detroit a couple of years ago. I know Dixon did it at Toronto, um, but. If in my mind as a competitor, because like you say, Joseph at, at Iowa is you know it's an uh, otherworldly thing, but if you, if <clears throat> giving that guy that advantage at that track, you know if the same isn't true, if there's not somebody that's quite that dominant at another track, I mean I'm sure you'd love a doubleheader at uh, Long Beach, um, nice. and it would probably <laughs> be the same thing, but <laughs> but my point is like you should get that opportunity everywhere, right? So my 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 feeling on it is kind of either all double headers or no double headers right because if you're good at long beach at least there's two cracks at long beach you know if you're good at mid-ohio there's two cracks in mid-ohio if you're good at texas there's two cracks in texas so at least it's even excluding the 500 but i still don't think that should be double points i think they should give you know heavily weighted points for qualifying because that's its own weekend and more work than a normal race weekend goes into qualifying and the race should just be normal points um and that's kind of how you make up you know the quote-unquote double point situation there but yeah I, there, there's a lot to consider and there's a lot of different people's opinions to uh to factor in like you say i mean the the mechanics and teams and how they have to work and that's obviously something that would have to be uh looked at and, and kind of researched pretty closely but i think if we went back to three-day weekends even with the double headers that schedule you know alleviates quite a bit from what they've had to do you know at road america and at uh, iowa and what they're going to have to do at Mid Ohio and <clears throat> Gateway is the one that worries me because that's coming off the back of the Indy 500. You know, so you have all the work of the yeah, Indy 500, and then you go yeah, straight but, to a double header. But we do that. We do that in a normal year, anyways, with Detroit, right? So I don't. I don't think that's that's true. That's, that's true. Too big of a deal. Um, so we've kind of covered. We've covered what the beginning and the end of August is going to look like. We've covered what our view of um, the future of IndyCar should look like. Let's talk about. Um, Dude, like the Indy 500 is is what 22 days away or something ridiculous. Like I know I know it's like, very delayed this year, but it also seems like it kind of came up pretty quick, which is kind of weird. Yeah, quarantine way. time doesn't count, right? Like it's still March, but then also it's yeah. it's like 2023 already. I don't know. It's right. Um, I mean, it's here. It's here. It's it's gonna be. You know, we're gonna be on track in uh, less than two weeks. 
Um, but it's going to be a very different Indy 500 this year. I mean, they've already said, obviously everyone knows about the, the reduced uh, capacity from a fan standpoint. Um, but we're not having any of the, like, the usual traditional stuff that makes the Indy 500 yeah. what it is. And that's going to be really the, weird. The pageantry, the... Yeah, it's it's going to be really weird, man. And, and I was thinking about this and talking about this with Becky the other day. <clears throat> Look, the Indy 500 is the Indy 500. I don't care if you're racing in front of a million fans or one fan. It's the Indy 500. But at the same time, and this is really, I guess, more kind of directed towards the guy in the room that's won the race. But you know, one of the one of the things that's got to be the coolest experience, you know, is, is getting in that pace car you know, after being in victory lane and doing that lap with everybody in the stands and just feeling the atmosphere and the energy there. And the winner this year will get a very truncated version of that. And I, that sucks for whoever it is. It doesn't suck. You won the Indy 500. I don't feel bad for you. But at the same time, any other year would be such a different experience. And, uh, yeah. and that's a great, it's like, man, would you, would you want to give up winning this year? <laughs> you know, if you well, know you had a good you, shot next year, I don't know. If you think about it the other way though, you're gonna win one of the most remem- You're gonna win one of the most memorable Indy 500s in history, right? <laughs> like people are going to remember this one. Hey, you remember when it moved to August? You remember when for one August? reason or another? Yeah, but yes, is it being remembered remember. for all the wrong reasons though? Correct. I mean, it's still remembered. Like you still, you know, if you win it, you're still gonna be remembered as the one who won <laughs> the insane one. People remember World War II, not with a ton of, like, happy thoughts. Yeah, though. well, we still remember who won, James. Yeah, that <laughs> was not Canada. Why do you, we need to tell why you Why do you say that? It absolutely was Canada. You, so you, hey, you the think Canadians, we didn't play part of that? The did a huge part of uh, Point du Hoc and D-Day. Yeah, they were, they were right. good. Right. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. Here. No, I didn't mean that. I we didn't were mean on the same they couldn't, side, they couldn't guys. Have done it without the freedom wagon. I didn't mean that as a Canadian dig. I yeah, more who was a little a, late to the party? <laughs> I didn't mean that as a as a Canadian dig. I meant that as a dig on like, yes, we uh, World War Two is obviously awful, but we remember the winners. <laughs> like you, you know, they're yeah. <laughs> so. And I'm not saying yeah, the 500 is going to be awful, but I'm saying like th- there's at least you're you're putting your stamp on something that's in history. I understand what you're saying, and I I don't disagree with the point. Uh, it's just it's just going to be a different experience. It really is. It's even it's even like in um, I guess when when Joseph won the championship in seventeen, and we didn't have a victory banquet that year. It was kind of like tacked on to the season opening party in St. Pete, March of twenty eighteen. That's that was super different for you know whoever won that title than it would have been had it been kind of in the traditional banquet style that we did. And that's the other thing, right? Like the five hundred banquet is not happening from what I understand. We're just Correct. not obviously going to have a bunch of people sitting around tables in a, in a giant room. So that night that was dedicated to that team and that driver and that owner and those mechanics and those engineers and everybody that made the Indy 500 victory possible for that car, they're not going to get that. And that's sad. It's really sad, I think. So you almost hope, Necessary, you almost, you almost hope that, that the guy that wins is someone that already won it before. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. No, I don't. Absolutely. <laughs> or, or, or somebody that you don't like. Oh, I see. I see what you're getting at. I see what you're getting at. That's all right. Yes, uh, I hope Elio wins it. And because uh, okay. he's already done all it right. three times. And okay. so. Yeah. <laughs> Two times. Um, so what's, what's the one thing that you're not going to be that sad about that's going off the schedule? Because I've got mine, but I want to hear yours, James. 
because you oh. you can't you can't be this guy that's like oh my god I love everything everything's great it's it's all history and it's all wonderful like what's the one I can thing? I'm Canadian of no, course I not. can do that what's the one thing no so like, the one thing the one thing would be Casino Night I think that's the one I'm most looking oh, forward I to oh I like Casino having. Night. And, well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me explain why. Because I also like Casino Night. But it's, you know, from when you talk about the, the tradition and the history of the sport and the race, that's a relatively new one. And it's not, like, one of the big ones. Um, it's great to get to go interact with the fans and all the rest of it. But the way it's been structured in the past, it hasn't really been, I think, what it was supposed to be. And a lot of times you just kind of end up talking to the same group of people, whether it's fans or other drivers or whatever for the entire time you're there you don't they don't they don't kind of structure it to get the interaction with the people that are there as well as I think they could have and so it ended up just being like an hour at the end of a busy day that you didn't want to be there and the fans weren't getting something out of it you weren't getting something out of it and so is it fun going and gambling fake money? Yes, because that's the only kind of money I gamble. I gamble two kinds of money, fake money and Alex's money. <laughs> and uh, so I was totally fine to, to miss that of, of all the things. How about you? Oh, no, I, I love it all. <laughs> I, I, I hate you Rossi, so much. noted man of the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, okay, so I have two, actually. One is... One has nothing to do with the history of the 500. So, Andretti Autosport has this what's called night before party for all of the sponsors. I also and love everything. that party. Just wait <laughs> for all of the sponsors to go, and they convert the entire workshop into this nightclub, basically with acts and performers. It's incredible. It is phenomenal, and it's the night before the race. And Every year we have to go for 45 minutes and watch all of these people and all of the fun they're about to have. And we are drinking our, our lemon waters, right? Eating our kale chips. And it's just like, that's, that's nice for you guys. Like, that must be cool. Why can't it be a night after the 500 party so we could actually go enjoy it? But no. Um, so I'm really looking forward to not having to go to that and subject myself uh, to that. And the other thing is and and maybe I'll probably get hate for this cuz I don't understand, you know, really the the reason for it, but like the public drivers meeting. I really don't like that. Mostly because it's always I knew you were going to land on that. Really hot. And you're sitting in these metal grandstands like shoulder to shoulder with like the people you're supposed to be racing tomorrow. So you're like you're you're arch nemesises in a lot of ways. And you're all just sweating there. And you're getting kind of told fake for theatrics, you know, rules and, and regulations. And it's just, I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> okay, so I, I, under, I understand your qualm. But at the same time, you know, that's where they give the baby Borg to last year's winner. And, you know, they get their ring and the team owner and... Right. Uh, you know, does this have to be banquet, an outdoor you know, morning event? The the the, I don't know. Like, why can't it be like a like a nicer like cocktail reception of some sorts, or like tied into casino? Because like, because just, that's that's what the that's what the banquet is, right? The banquet the year before when you win the race. That's your fancy to do cocktail thing. The people that get to come to the public drivers meeting, like they don't want to do a fancy dinner. They're there for you know before the before the parade and um you know it is an outdoor more casual way of doing it but it still gives them a chance to kind of you know honor last year's winner and, and team owner and, and whatever and 
Uh, and it's and it's the qualifying rings, you know, that you get the, you get given those during that time as well. I, I agree with you if they wanted to cut out the actual like quote unquote drivers meeting part because yeah, I mean, guys, I guess... I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah, go ahead. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna break a secret rule here and let you guys in on something. We have a real drivers meeting in private without you guys. What? <laughs> and, and as Alex said, no. the, the public one is all very much yeah. yeah. That is so, devastating uh, news. I mean, I never went to the public drivers meeting. Wait, are I you are you being are you being sarcastic? I no, I mean, I, I honest guy, I never went and never really thought about it, but I do kind of feel like I've been lied to now. <laughs> 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 I, I'm legitimately upset about this. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. We just, uh, which is because you got to think about it, right? You got to think about it from a practical standpoint. If there was an actual issue, I mean, luckily the Indy 500 is an event that runs pretty smoothly because we've been doing it for a minute. But if there was some actual issue that had had arisen, it's a it's a very awkward forum with which uh, for which a driver you know to voice their opinion or concerns on that. So it's all, any of that stuff, which again. For the, my career in the 500, I've, I've never really seen the, 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 the driver's driver's meeting is very similar to the public driver's meeting. It just kind of gives us the opportunity to discuss any issues that may have come up over practice or qualifying or whatever. It's never really happened. So you're getting all the same information. We've just also already heard it. All I know is if I manage to just ruin Thim's day a tiny little bit, it's been worth it for me. And on that bombshell, I say we call this one a show. You're a show. Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Thim, though we have no idea why you would... He's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to add producer Thim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that I mean Thim. Hey everybody, producer Thim here. You know, we love our listeners. We love our subscribers, but there's something we love even more. People who give us five-star ratings. Now, you can go into iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and and rate our lovely little show, Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Uh, We would really appreciate five stars. If you can't stand the sound of my voice and you want to give us four, I understand. I mean, I don't love it, but I understand. We won't hold it against you. I mean, if you think it's bad, imagine being me. I'm the one that has to live with this voice. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.